Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Tom Amenta is a flexible, award-winning leader with 15 years of legitimate experience in thought leadership in the areas of content creation, marketing and operations, and the full spectrum of marketing channels. He's a former Army Ranger, and he has worked with the best in the world when it comes to all of these platforms, bringing in authentic personalities, understanding what it really takes to create a brand. In the 20-year war, I met him through JC Glick, our mutual friend, author of that book. And he's also the big pusher of United Valor, putting all that material out there. Tom, thank you so much for being here and for uh, cutting it up with me. And so much has happened since the book, but tell us a little bit about how the book did and that release was incredible beautiful yeah. book, hardback. I loved all the coins and everything that came with it. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you for having me back, brother. It is always good to chop it up with you. Like we, we always seem to start way before we have I know. to hit record. I, I need to just hit record. I'm just going to hit record. There was so, so much gold there. But yeah, no. So the book was an Amazon bestseller for a couple of weeks in our major categories. I'm proud to say that I outsold the president of the United States former one Obama at one point. That's not meant to be a political thing. Just that's a screenshot I will forever have. In my life. Right, like, that should be your profile picture from here yeah, on right. out, man. It should be. And then actually one of the, the craziest and most amazing things is that with the book, we had launched it at the National Veterans Memorial Museum in Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio. And the museum leadership came back and said, well, what if we make this a museum exhibit? And so... The book, 20 of the portraits, including JC, our mutual friend got turned into a national level exhibit. And it is actually so, yes. So it's it's run at the NVMM is done, but it's actually getting ready starting a Memorial Day, uh, Grunt Style Corporate Headquarters. They have a big share space that they have entrepreneurs and they have like this workspace. And so a lot of traffic goes through that. So they're actually setting it up and Memorial Day weekend, I'll be in San Antonio to launch it there. Dude, that's huge. Yeah. So, and then there's, there's already three or four other places that are, that are looking. So it looks like it's going to tour for a while, which was just the wildest last thing I sort of ever expected, you know, where it started and where it came. And it's one of those things that, you know, all of us at United Valor, you know, which is the the parent company with, you know, Dan, Bo and myself were actually not this weekend, but next weekend, we're all going to be together, like trying to like, okay, so we've done these things. We've got these three or four things that we, that we think, what is the market? What is the next project for sure? It's been a cool time, man. I love seeing good work. And I feel like the book always was like, not only validated it, but being shown. And I really appreciate the, the people that have seen the value in it and are allowing us to continue to tell those authentic veteran stories. I just think now more than ever, that's even more important. We absolutely need it now. And we need, again, quality of that book, just tremendous. The images alone, like even if you didn't read the, mm-hmm. the story, just seeing the images, everything, just so tremendous. So I highly recommend everybody go. If you haven't got that book yet, go get one. If you know a veteran, go get one for them. You know, this this is an incredible, it's literally a work of art. And it's now being given yeah. that kind of uh, respect that it deserves. So United Valor, you guys are doing big things. and. Thank you. We were talking about how you mentioned about that authenticity, mm-hmm. about that realness. You were the co-founder of a, a small brand. What was it called again? Was it called Ranger, <laughs> Ranger Up? Ranger Up. Ranger Up. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. original, the kind of the original uh, veteran brand, so to speak. Yes. It, it was. Yeah. So on that, if you ever <laughs> read anything by Tommy Bad Boy or you saw any of those videos, that was me. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah. No, that was an insane ride. That that was uh, right after college in 2008, in the middle of the recession. Uh, Nick Palmaciano had been going to Duke for his MBA and had done a couple of shirts. He's the he was the CEO. Met Tim Kennedy right around the same time that he met me, and he decided to take this tiny little hobby and, and make it 
the full-time gig. And uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it's like, you know, my parents like, Oh, you just graduated from college. You're an army ranger. What are you going to do? Go to law school? I'm like, no, nah, I think I'm going to go make t-shirts and I'm going to move halfway across the country to do it. They're like, what? <laughs> how about we pay for, literally like, how about we pay for law school? I'm like, how about I go make t-shirts? <laughs> so it, you know, they, they thought it was crazy. Uh, Nick and I worked, worked really well together, you know, from the jump. He's still a very dear friend of mine. Um, he's got, he's since moved on also to his, his content creation and marketing from Diesel Jack Media, just killing it. Love that guy. I'm so proud of him. And yeah, but for that, that time period, you know, making t-shirts come up with creative stuff and just trying to figure out how to serve, you know, our community and as far as the veterans go. Yeah. And it's interesting because now everybody's vying for that attention in that arena. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys really, and that's the thing when I reached back out to you again, I have people that are asking questions. They, you know, there's entrepreneurs, there's leaders now, and they're saying, you know, I'm trying to create this thing. And whether it's a widget, whether it's a, a course, whether it's like a group, whether it's apparel, mm-hmm. whether it's this thing, they're saying, you know, what do I need to do this? Because right. if we listen to, to certain people, they're going to tell you to put all your eggs in this basket or financially right. to invest in this one thing. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the other side, they're going to tell you the exact opposite. And what I've noticed are the people that happen to be telling you that are the ones that happen to sell whatever that product or service is, which it's funny how that works, right? It's weird, right? I don't know if they see the correlation, <laughs> but sometimes the, the intention is still good. Like they just happen to mm-hmm. do that and that's fine. But yeah. again, without understanding who the hell you are, what you stand for. And then there's a, plenty of brands that we see uh, as I was talking to you. I'm working on the Octanon Berber brand of apparel. Mm -hmm. I have distribution. It's all going to be made in the United States. They'll do all the fulfillment. But I still see people that will scrounge together a few thousand dollars Mm -hmm. and batch something. And then that's sort of it. And they don't have a vision other than Mm -hmm. look at me. I'm a badass. They have a picture of themselves with an iPhone. But (laughs) and and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not shooting on that, but I am saying that that's a little bit like, okay, this is your first step. What are you going to do next? How can you scale that? Is that sustainable? Yes. Even if it yeah. is, is that what you should be doing? So right. can you give us sort of the blueprint of what that would look like once they've got these other things sort of in mind? And the, the yeah. So the first thing I would say is I don't recommend anybody get into apparel unless they really feel very passionately about it. The thing is, is everyone in their life has had a great idea for a couple of t-shirts. Okay. Like you just have it. You're with, you're with your people. It's like, boom, that would work. Trying to grind out 30, 40 that you produce and you need to come up with 70, 80, 90, just like sort through what the best ones are. That's work. Okay. It's, it's one of those things that you can be the most creative motherfucker in the world and you will still be sitting there in a design meeting or sitting there with yourself trying to come up with the next big thing. And all you want to do is bang your head into the desk. So it's one of those things where it's like, I, I think that's a big misnomer and people it seems so enticing. It seems so easy. Um, and it's, it's work. It, it is a, gr- you are going to grind, man. You are going to work your ass off for that. Even if you have everything that you said for the, for the production and, you know, yes. and in your case, you already have a built in audience. You already have a, a built in niche, which is where I would start is like authenticity in B2C is everything. It's everything. You know, I work, you know, my day job is in, is in big tech, you know, for, you know, software as a service SaaS stuff. B2B is, it's the best product, the best product, the best price wins. The laws of economics are remarkably firmly established and stable, right? There's not much that to the point where there's this trend now in in tech, even if it's taking a beating where the new startups are coming up with these mean nothing names that are like slightly like Finnish, Swedish, Norwegian, just because our ear likes the sound and we like to say it. That's the only reason we're, we're coming up with the names. It's like if I say, you know, if I say Nutanix or if I say Snowflake or if I say, you know, what's another uh, Trello, right? These, these tech companies, those, if you don't know what they are, they're going to go right over your head. But if you're inside that specific portion of the industry, like, oh, they're great at what they do, right? So that's the B2B world. The B2C world, it's, all, it's the authenticity. It's who, it's who are you? And are you willing to put yourself out there like that to start? And it's it's knowing who you resonate with or who you think you're going to resonate with. Like at Ranger Up at the start, when it was brand new, that was mostly Nick and I just 
being ourselves, right? We're both late twenties veterans. You know, he had just gotten out, he had also gone to West Point. You know, so you've got you've got the officer, you got me as the NCO. Uh, we were both raging smart asses, which is why, you know, one of our first shirts <laughs> said, my ops are blacker than your ops, <laughs> like Star Wars font, right? Um, and this and this one didn't work. This one was a little too high level, but it was another one that had um, a flock of seagulls and the outline of the country I ran. And it said, I ran as in the country so far away. Like we thought it was hilarious. You know, to this day, it's still one of those shirts that I just wish had gotten where it was supposed to go, right? Never did. You know, and oh like, so God. we're doing that. And then also, you know, as we're, we're looking like that sarcastic, smart-ass humor is just integral to the military. And it was so missing from the marketplace, right? They're like, mm-hmm. all the shirts back then were skulls and flames and death from above and knives through the skulls. And somehow there's a serpent coming out of the mouth of the skull, which none of this makes sense to me, but like, that's what it was. <laughs> and... um you know, we're like, that's, that's not who the average veteran is, right? Like we're, you know, it's, it's, it's not who we are. And so then as we started going through it, one of the things we realized and we called it the protector category, right? One of the shirts that we did was, was St. Michael, you know, it was the patron saved the airborne and, you know, and, and that thing took off like a rocket ship. We did one, like the whole concept of like sheepdog, like in sort of popular culture, Dave Grossman was the one that did it in his book, but uh, still this RU-176, that's the skew. We did a shirt that says there are wolves, there are sheep, and I am the sheepdog. And that thing took off like a rocket ship. I mean, that shirt was just insane. I mean, that was that was that was the big moneymaker for so long. And it just boiled down to us recognizing who we were, right? Because we were part of this community that we were selling to. And then figuring out how to sort of capture that ethos, how to capture that, that who we were in a bite-sized sort of snackable format, which is really what a t-shirt is, you know, because like at the end of the day, especially B2C, like the shirt that I'm wearing right now just happens to be from Banana Republic. It was just the first one I threw on. There's nothing on it. It's just a cotton poly t-shirt that I know having worked in the industry, this shirt could not have cost more than a buck and a quarter maximum with an additional 20 to 30 cents for the heat transfer label that's in it. And yet Banana Public sells it for $25. Why? Because people have identified with that brand. Also, they're owned by the same conglomerate that has the Gap and has Old Navy. The, the t-shirt quality for Old Navy is going to be a little less, you know, and it's cheaper. And But even some of the Gap stuff could be on the same blank that this is on. But what's the difference? Gap sells it for 20 because of the perception of, in this case, of stack brand. So how do you get there? Like, how did you, you know, like, those are declining brands. But if you go back 30 years ago, Gap was the staple in everyone's closet, right? Like it was this, it meant, you know, consistency and it was, you know, it was a high level product and it touched that ethos of, you know, San Francisco and sort of a wildly open and populated times. They captured that really well. That's where it started in 1969. And they were able to hold on to that. Like they lost some of it, you know, over the years and they, they sort of fell out of touch with the consumer. And, and I think that you can see that. But one of my favorite juxtapositions in the marketplace right now is the difference between Nike and slash Jordan brand because they're the same thing and Adidas right now. Just powerhouse. Like, but Adidas put all their eggs in the Kanye West basket. And then when he went nuts, they're sitting on $1.6 billion of product. Not not in revenue of product that's easy that they can't sell. That they, that they don't know what they're going to do with because they chose to believe in of authenticity of his brand. And then, you know, now that it's problematic, whereas, you know, Nike's always been a little more diversified. They've always tried to make it more about the technology and more about the, the greatest athletes in the world using that technology. Whereas Adidas, you know, kind of fell behind on that a little bit and was trying to use names. You know, another thing for them is that Beyonce's Ivy Park just ended their deal with them because it wasn't selling. You know, they expected to be 200 million or something like that and it did 30 just didn't tap in, right? Like Adidas was chasing, they were chasing the limelight. They were chasing personalities. They were chasing stars. Meanwhile, Nike has always been, we are a technology first company, like flying it. I mean, you can go through all the patents that they have and we are going to marry that technology with the best athletes in the world. Like that's always been Nike's value proposition as much as they could. And I don't think that's, that's authentic. It's massive. It's global. It's incredible. They have never not known who they are. And I think that that is an incredible testament to Phil Knight, which, by the way, I highly recommend his autobiography. That's a great read, too, if you want to talk about it. A true, just all the way up there level entrepreneur, like, that is certainly Phil Knight. That book is well worth a read. I'll check that one out. I've known about it, but I haven't actually sat down and read it, but I will put that into play. And like you're saying, 
what's scalable in this case. Mm-hmm. Nike with the technology that's always changing. That's always evolving. There's always yep. a new athlete. There's always a new sport. There's always a new take on this yep. sport. So they, they will never run out of content. They will never run out of ways to dovetail that yep. into all roads leading to Nike. Like you mm-hmm. said, the personal brands are important and that authenticity is important, but yep. when that authenticity comes out and it may not necessarily be the best yeah. economic impact on the company that you yep. hitch your wagon yep. to. Now you don't have anywhere to go. You can't pivot. Mm-hmm. And when it's supposed to be 200 million and it becomes 30, now you've got yeah. a big problem and things are not going to come together. So Yeah, and that's and that's the thing, because you know, I think Beyonce thing is a great example, is that she wasn't committed to, to promoting it. She wasn't committed to wearing it. She was doing all these other things. That's not authentic. Like, I'm sorry, like you just signed a deal and you, you know, you took the money and ran, which, hey, look, if you can get your bag, you know, I'm not gonna be hyper judgmental about it on some levels, but it's like Knowing who you are, I think that from Adidas' standpoint, I think they lost that. You know, Kanye West is absurdly authentic to Kanye. He's just problematic. And he's been problematic for years. And you you can't, you know, that's another thing, like, you can't be associated. Like, at Ranger Up, like, one of the things that was, going back to that, was truly one of the most insane, and I do literally mean insane moments. It's 2012, it's the heyday of Facebook, and we put a shirt out. And we used to put things out on Facebook to like get like the temperature and like, hey, does this does this resonate? What do you guys think of this? I have a group of neo-Nazis and a group of Zionists, both saying that this shirt means something to them, both chastising us for not supporting their cause and also telling us that we suck for allowing the other side to like be on this. And Marcus, they were hitting the comments so fast. And this is pre-bot, by the way. Okay. Like this was not like 2012 did not have bot stuff the way it does now. We couldn't shut it down because every time we went to do something, there's another comment from one or the other. I mean, we're talking hundreds going through this. I'm just looking at this. It's the same image. And you could not have two people more opposed arguing over it. Like I, I felt like I was, lo- I mean, you could see it on my face. Like to this day, I still look at it. I was like, oh, this is Looney Tunes. This is like, La La Land, man. Like what's going on? I think that's like the other thing you've really just got to be prepared for. And I didn't mean to transition like this, but it's like, you've also got to like, even though you know who you are and even though you know what you're trying to represent, just like our lifestyle creation and content apparel, anything in that is like, once you release it out into the world, it's not yours anymore. And you need to get really comfortable with that really quickly because that is, at least for me, I know what I meant when I designed some of the shirts that I did. Like, I'm a history geek. So all of the using the Constitution and all the Bill of Rights and hang together, hang separately, or don't tread on me. Like, we were probably the first company that I can come up with to use the DTOM flag and stylize it. And, you know, now that's like all over the place. But that has come to represent something that was absolutely not intended by us. In, in the United States, there was actually on Jan 6th, on, in the Capitol riot, one of the flags that was being waved was an adaption of something I know that we did. Like, we were the people that created it. It was slightly modified, but it was our concept. And that is so far past the last thing that that was ever... I mean, truly, you could not have been more night or day, but suddenly, like, there I am. I'm confronted with something I created. Like, I wrote the design brief for that one. You know, and then like also in a larger sense, like the Black Rifle Coffee guys took so much flack because that one idiot's wearing a BRCC hat. I know those guys. Like we did range 15 with them. That's not, that is not what they're about. Like that's not their get down. And yet it's out there in the world and it's, and it's open to that. So it's one of those things where if you're going to do it, if you're going to live in this sort of lifestyle world, it's like, you've got to be as authentic to you as you can. You've got to truly try and capture that essence of what you're trying to stand up for belief. But you also have to accept that the 10% is very real, is what I call them. And they're going to see it the way they want to see it. Like I said, like literally, neo-Nazis, Zionists see themselves in the same thing. That's happened. It's wild. Same. And also, it's not yours anymore. No matter how much you want it to be, no matter, like, and you just have to be prepared to have the thick skin for that. And it's also kind of that 10%. In the very beginning, you're not going to know. It's new. You're going to get a million people and you get these criticisms and you're going to get these praise. And it's like trying to figure out where to go is tricky in the beginning. But eventually, you get enough reps, you get enough experience, you've been there enough, and you know, for the most part, broadly speaking, how the market's going to react to something. Like close, you know, like maybe it hits super big, but like you, you get a sense. And when you start feeling that the hypercritics, the te- that 10% that really just wants to shit on you because you're being successful or you have some... like. You've got to learn how to ignore it and you've got to learn how to just 
not not deal with it. And honestly, man, like that is way harder than I think people think, especially the higher you go up and the more you start doing something. Cause it's like, everyone wants to be like, I, I don't care who you are and what you say. Everyone wants to be like, and I don't know what it is about the human psyche of the human condition, but we take it so much harder when someone says they don't like something as opposed to the praise, you know, I adapted a little bit, but I love the quote Matt Damon's character has in rounders where it's like every poker player can remember the bad beats. They remember them intensely. No one remembers the big pots they took. Same sort of thing. And it's only, it's your lifestyle. It's, it's what you're doing. And, you know, for you, at least, you know, when we were talking a little bit of this before, like you are so grounded in who you are and, and acting on Verbo has been there for so long and is so clear. And it's like, for you, like, I don't think you're going to fall into some of the issues that some other people do, but it's like, even as the creator, if you're going to live in that lifestyle or like what you start is authentic, like you can kind of get like lost in your own sauce. Like you can kind of lose your horizon lock. And that becomes a trick. It's like, what does the, like things stand for? Like, I will give Nick forever one of the bravest things ever in my life that happened. And one of like the most authentic things was Ranger Up mid, you know, it was like 2014, 2015. We were struggling a little bit. And the company still, like Nick and I both since sold out of, of the company, still owns the trademark to the phrase unapologetically American for apparel. This is right at the start of that big Trumpian far right neocon red wave. Okay. There is millions of dollars if we pivot. I mean, more money than that company would have ever been able to do, especially with our ability to use social media to market and all that other stuff. And we had always seen Ranger Up as a centrist brand. Unapologetically American to us was always something that was so proud to be an American because we think that and Nick and I have both traveled extensively around the world. Like we love other cultures. I love the differences. But at the end of the day, I still think that America is the greatest country in the world. And I think it provides the most opportunity. And I am unapologetic in that belief. And that's where the phrase came from. And there it is. The easy button. Very real. It's right there. And I'll be honest, I was one of the people that was like, push the button. And Nick was absolutely not. It's like, no, it's like, this is not what that brand represents. We try to be as centrist as we can. We try to be as inclusive for all Americans, whether some people choose to see that or not. We are not selling out. Okay. And like, seriously, the money issues were big. Like, and, and we knew like, there's this big, massive pot of money to make for the next few years. He's like, nope, absolutely not. That's authenticity. Truly one of the bravest things I've ever seen in my life because that was his baby. He was the majority owner in the company. Like the stakes could not have been higher. That's how he feeds his family, the whole nine yards. And that dude was like, it's not who we are. And I will never forget that lesson. And God bless him for it because as you started seeing that schism and that chasm, and it would have been suddenly Ranger Up wouldn't have stood for anything at some point. It wouldn't have been what it was. It wouldn't have been where it was designed to go. And, you know, Brand had its critics, fine, whatever. But he remained true to what we believe the vision of that organization should be and what we saw as our culture and what we saw as who we wanted to represent us. Because that's the other thing. You can chase the money. You can sell out, man. Like It's not hard, <laughs> actually. Yeah. But then you're going to wake <laughs> up one day and it's going to be you know, like the early 2000s. I love you. It's like affliction. Right. Like what used to be sort of like part punk, part LA lifestyle, suddenly you've got some mid 40s, midlife crisis douchebag with bedazzled jeans and your shirt on, like talking like a badass. And it's like, nah, man, <laughs> that is not what it was meant to be. And, you know, they sold out, they took the cash. And, you know, yeah, hey, if, if that's your get down, then I'm not going to say that, you know, you did gut your brand for, for that moment of fame. It, it's a choice. But, that's the thing about authenticity, right? Like you can chase the money and it'll work for a little while. It will, but it's not going to last. It's not sustainable. You know, at some point it's going to crash. And you saw that with that brand. I mean, I could go through some of the ones that in the MMA space, when we were there that people just do absurd amounts of money that none of you are going to know, no matter how big of an MMA fan you are. You know, you also, I think a great example, if you're a fan of mixed martial arts, like when Charles Mask Lewis was alive, Tap Out was the greatest MMA brand. And it would have stayed that way. But the minute he died, and the way that that company was structured and suddenly the venture capital people and the like, how do we just squeeze the life out of this? That brand went from the most prestigious, most everyone in the industry respected those guys, everybody, all of us. And if you said you didn't, you were a freaking liar. But once Mass died, it didn't take long. 
because they didn't care about the authenticity. They cared about the dollar. And look, you got to make money, period. You've got to turn a profit. You've got to have good ROI. And if you don't, that should tell you that maybe you don't have the market you thought you did, or maybe you haven't presented this to the consumer. Like You should be asking me a lot of questions, and many of them are hard. But if you don't, if you have that, you know, and you really want to be what you say you're about, like sometimes you pass things up, sometimes you remain true to it. And on some levels, you got to trust your consumer. Like you got to trust that your base is there and you got to listen to them. Things yeah. change, there's evolution. And so that's a lot of really long winded stuff that boils down to make sure you know what your brand is and be authentic to it. And so, how do we stay in touch with that signal of authenticity? I mean, so for me, there were a few things. One, I was looking at what was selling. Right. We always had a good mix of funny and you know, the funny, the protector, the MMA, like we had we had categories. So it was, it was looking at that because that does matter, right? Like you're a brand. And again, you got to make money on it. Two, there's sort of an art to it, and it's really changed so much. The social media game has changed so much more from when we started in it. It's another reason I don't recommend it. Like from 2008 to 2015, the algorithm wasn't crushing us. So I knew if something was good because I could look at my like count and know. Now the best you are ever going to do without boosting a post is if you are under 5,000 people on Facebook, you might get 8%. Might. Like, you have to pay to play. And so that can sort of do the signal noise. The other thing is like bots get so much can be in there on the wrong thing. And then you can really be chasing your tail one way or the other. That's- Especially with AI that's coming out now, right? Like the way yeah. it's going to be hitting yeah. companies in the yeah. next even now, let yep. alone six months, a year, two years from now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be brutal. I do not envy people that have to do that. But I will say it's like, one, it's trusting your gut. And I think like sales is going to bear something out. It's going to show you that there's a trend. Being able to be in touch, you know, I, I think this is actually one of the things that Twitter is pretty good for, as long as you can figure out who's a bot and who isn't. Like, if someone's got something to say, they're going to let you know. And then also, it's like, if you hear the same criticism from people that seem relatively reasonable, like, okay, you've got to ignore the 10%. But if your customer's telling you that you're missing something, right? You know, they're not calling you a worthless piece of shit. They're not calling you every name in the book. They're just like, hey, man, I'm disappointed. Like, if I ever read, I'm disappointed, I always paid attention to that. Because that meant something, someone had something to say. Like, that's one of those words, at least to me, that was a key of like, you're not here to trash me. You have something to say. And I tried to figure out what those things were. And I tried to balance that commentary and those comments against people telling me how awesome it was. Because one of the things that we learned really quickly when we were like fielding, what do you guys think of the shirt is it wasn't the people that said that's awesome that was going to tell how it was going to sell. Because like everyone's like, you know, like the, the take my money meme was like there. It was being able to read the criticisms of the shirt or what they didn't like. And if it had this overwhelming majority of well-meaning, like, hey, it's just not my style. Or, like, if it had a lot of that, we knew it probably was work. On the other hand, if there wasn't a lot of that, we, we knew that we probably had something pretty solid on our hands. And that seems a little reverse, but it's like, yeah, people are always going to get hyped up and they're always going to get excited because it's free. There's no cost of involvement. But if someone's willing to give you something that you believe is honest criticism, and you can ignore the, you know, fuck you motherfucker comments. That's where at least I have found some of the most powerful lessons that can be learned because the person who's trying to give you an honest critique, they've invested. That's what they're saying is they're saying I'm invested in this. Whereas the shut up and take my money people or the fuck you people, they're there to hopefully get a couple of likes or something like that. And every now and then you would see someone say like, I really love this. And like, they'll have the like detailed reasons. Great. Awesome. That's your premium feedback. Right. But you're not going to get a ton of that. You're going to get way more of that sort of honest critique. And then the sort of noise that's going to go in there. I think that that's key is to be, I hate to say balance because balance doesn't exist, but it's understanding that this 10% that's loudest, we can ignore Mm -hmm. that, even though we're going to hear a lot of it. And then, like you said, the people that are saying you're doing great, it's easy for us to feed into that. It's like, okay. So now that you've got rid of those like 30%, Mm -hmm. are you in the 70%? Do you have the thick enough skin and enough like humility to let your ego put things in the backseat and say, no, really, like I could have done this better. Or why did we compromise on that? Like I was telling you before, like they were trying to get like a snapback made in the US that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Yeah. And they were like the price point, you know, in your margin, I was like, I don't care. Like if I'm saying that this is what I'm doing and I'm, this is like my ethos and this is what I'm doing. And if it costs more, it costs more. And if the quality, like you said, the 50, 50 poly, I mean, 
just going with cotton, that's cheaper, but I don't want to wear that every day. And if it's going to yep. have something right. on it, it's not going to be, again, I've been working out in the shirts. It's like, mm-hmm. if they're starting to fade, like in the second wash, it's like, yep. it's not working there. So, yeah. And specific to your ethos, I would say this too, is that you're asking the consumer to pay more for all the made in America. And at least what we found is that there's a lot of people who talk about that. Not as many people are willing to put their money where their mouth was. And if you're going to take a stand like that, and it's not just made in America, right? If you're going to take this very specific, my corporate ethos is this stand, understand it's probably going to take a little longer. Because on some levels, especially if you make these these big provocative statements, people are going to want to see, did you actually put your money where your mouth is? Are you actually going to live up to it? Because there's nothing worse than a poser. That there's nothing worse that when you say something that's like big and bold, and then you don't live up to the value and you're on front street for it, like that will kill a brand faster than than just about anything. Like we're talking about Adidas and, and Kanye West now, he's just toxic, right? Like that guy used to be considered one of the preeminent MCs in hip hop, right? Like he was, he's brilliant in that way. But, you know, once it came out, just how anti-Semitic he, he is, once it came out, just how, and people realized that the things they identified with him were not his authenticity, he's gone. I mean, he's radioactive. And you see that all the time, whether it's a brand, whether it's a person that's public facing, like you will get ding for a lack of authenticity. And if you, especially the bigger the statement you make and like from where you're starting from, I think that, you know, if your sales are a little slow in the beginning, part of that really might be the market seeing, is he really important? Is he really about this life? And that's fair. I think in this day and age, especially social media and all these people in this fake everything style culture with influences and like, look, I was an influencer before that was a term at Ranger Up. Okay. Like you were literally an influencer when it was. Yeah. And it was like, you know, this was still coming out. It's like, it's one of those things I tell people all the time. It's like, you don't actually want that life. Like, because the best influencers, the one that do the the best with it is they find a way to take 80% of their personality and mix it with 20% of the razzle dazzle, if you will. And that's your forward facing person. Like it's still you, but you're amplifying certain characteristics. You're mitigating other things. You always get another take. You can always do another photo. Like you are selling something, even if you're only selling yourself. And I can say, we were talking, you know, before we started, like 14 months ago, I had a very, very serious breakdown. Like I had massive mental health challenges and, and just a lot that I had to really rebuild myself. And like, like I went all the way to the bedrock. Part of that was sort of this legacy from starting off at 18 being an army ranger, okay? And like not having a fully developed neofrontal cortex and being told how much of a badass that I am in that environment. Like what, it's part of the reason people have problems with transition. Like these are well-documented, but it takes a little bit, right? So I go from that, I'm going to college and I spend four years, the four years that I'm in school as a morning drive radio DJ. And my DJ name was Ranger because I'm super creative, right? So now I'm like, I'm actually public facing. Okay. Like I'm, I'm going to these events and I'm going out and I'm like, I'm being honestly way not myself, like super aggrandizing, like this, this big personality and trying to like, cause I'm trying to sell myself. I'm trying to sell my show. I'm trying, you know, like all this, I go from that to Ranger Up and now I'm Tommy Batboy. So I do that all the way through 2015, you know, going into 2016. Also, for that next like nine months, you know, almost a year, we've got range 15. So we've got the movie, right? And now that's like going way crazy. And, you know, I had a divorce uh, in the middle of that, you know, 2018, I took a mini retirement. I sold my stake in Ranger up. I took a mini retirement. I went all the way around the world. And I thought that I'd sort of slayed a lot of those demons. And some of them I did, but some of them were just so ingrained. We're just so latent. We're just so the person in the mirror, if you will, that like it, it took a lot for me to like finally sort of root some of that out and get to the much better place that I am today. And it's like, it didn't happen overnight. In my case, it was almost two decades of stuff, but like it does happen. If you're going to be in that lifestyle, if you're going to be that sort of forward facing thing, like you do need a network behind you and you have to trust it where it's like being grabbed by the collar and go, okay, come back, come here, come here. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, like I said, it's like in this 80, 20 minutes, like I'm a naturally big, gregarious person. I really am. You know, I have this background that people think is like so badass, an entrepreneur, a ranger, like all this like fake stuff. And it's like, I'm also an incredibly sensitive art kid and learning how to balance those things. It's learning how to keep enough of yourself private so you don't 
feel like you're being invaded if if you get to a certain level, right? Like at the very beginning and you're just one of a million, it, it doesn't quite there, but there's a balance. But also, you know, having that support network that can tell you if you really want to go out there and you really want to be forward facing and you really want to be that like public Tony Robbins guru consultant, or you want to be, you know, this super presence and it's going to be driven by your personality, being driven by this lifestyle or this culture that you're trying to project you can just as easily get lost in your own thing. And if you don't have that support network, and I didn't for a really long time, I didn't, or, you know, they were very far away from me. And I had to sort of come back into touch with some of that, which is, you know, part of the reason we talk about this too, it's like, there are days I really want to get back out there, you know, and like really sort of pull out all those tools and that skill set and things like that. But it's like my Instagram profile byline says here under protest. Because the guys like Dan and Bo, um, we you're, we need you. To, we like, need you. You, you got to get it up. You got to get into the profile. We got like we've we've all got to like have this. And I was like, you know, okay, it's it's a super fair point, you know. But I will never go back on Facebook. And I told them this is because I can't handle mentally and emotionally all of that. Same thing with Twitter. I cannot handle all the things that I see and all these algorithm driven echo chambers and all of the stuff that, you know, on some levels, I'm not going to say that I helped create, but it's like when you're making your money that way and that's what you're using and that's what you're communicating. Again, you're that sort of influencer lifestyle, at least for us before that was even a term, you are complicit in it. Whether you want to see it or not, you are complicit in it. Like you are benefiting from all of this. You are on some levels, even teaching that machine how to manipulate something more. And like I can't participate in it anymore. Like that's just not. It's not good for me. It's I. I don't think it's good for the general discourse. Like you're, you're like that ten percent. You know, on both sides of the political aisle, that's what's being listened to right now, and that is the biggest problem in America right now. The fact that, however you feel about him, Donald Trump can have all the problems that he does. Can have all of this generally agreed that this is not good for the American discourse anymore. By you know everyone from the moderate right to the left, right? But somehow he still has this just aggressive, hyper minority, but still super extremely loyal. And that political part is still going, is it enough to win, right? It kind of tells you everything that you need to know about it. And like the left doesn't have to deal with this right now because they've got the incumbent, but like they are going to have to do the same thing at some point. And that to me is what's wrong with, with a lot of this right now, a lot of the politics, a lot of you know, things like that. And that's honestly what, if you really want to be authentic, if you really want to do what you're doing, you know, even if you fit, even if, if your personal brand is inside of one of those 10%, like if you're going to, that's really who you are and really what you believe and you want to sit down and on it, then sit down and embrace it, right? Like be that. I'm not saying don't, but it's like, if you don't have that willingness to, to be authentic and that willingness to, you know, show enough of you and that vulnerability to demonstrate it. Like you also at the same time have to have a support network behind you, at least in my opinion, that's going to keep you from falling off that edge. And it's going to keep you from just having that so deeply ingrained in you that like trying to get it out is, you know, takes a mental break down. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on, but it was like, yeah, like that's when some of it finally, you know, got banged out of my head. And we have to have that adversity to knock us down to that brass oh, tacks, yeah. strip away all the bullshit, all the stuff that we believe that we've been lying to ourselves about. Everybody else corroborates. Mm-hmm. But once you're there again, it's like, oh, I remember yep. this. Yep. I remember this. And man, there's a lot of stuff about this I don't really like, but we have yeah. to at least acknowledge it because mm-hmm. if we don't, we just keep turning that blind eye to it. What's going to happen? We're going to do the exact same thing that we just did that got us there in the first place. And yeah. usually it's more toxic, usually it happens more quickly. And then it's mm-hmm. more detrimental when we have to fall again. And it's more aggressive. Just it's like, especially because you've already told yourself something and then you did it again. So now it's like the shame spirals even more. It's like, but you said you weren't. And that's the hard part. It's like, you know, it is the gift of adversity. It really is. Like, I mean, you and I have had these conversations so many times. And that's what I love about this podcast is that it's all about the action and it's all about like having that honest conversation with yourself. You know, the thing that I experienced and like, so not only was I having that, I was, I'd been working with, you know, everyone trying to get people out of Afghanistan in in August of 2021. And that's really when the slide had, I'd moved from where I'd been pretty stable. I'm I'm back in Chicago, but I'd moved to Omaha, Nebraska to take a job. And it turned out that the person I was working for was not who they presented themselves to be. And the opportunity that I was presented was not the opportunity that was actually there. And I was super isolated. Again, like I mentioned, like I didn't have that support network 
you know, on some levels at Ranger Up, but I did have a support network, didn't have anything. I've made some serious mistakes relationally that are on me and I own, and I'm not going to go that far down the road, but you know, I fucked up and that's on me. But then it's also the, the stress and the spiral of that, right? Like knowing that you made a mistake, you know, in this case, it just happened to be in relation, but knowing you've made a mistake and then realizing I made a mistake coming to Omaha for this. I mean, like, and it all just crunched and it all, and it's like, but at the end of the day, it's like, we've been talking about in terms of like the brand or everything, but it's like, I can take a step back. I went to Omaha because I chased the money. Okay. Like that's never been my get down, man. Like, but I'm like, oh, I think this company could be great. But like, if this works out, you know, like my girlfriend at the time sitting on the couch, when she's hearing me do the negotiation, she goes, you're an idiot if you don't take this. Right. And then it turns out to be false. So now it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, you compromised your values and oh, spoiler alert, just got suckered. Oops. Then you start working with some of these legacy things. And then, you know, at least for me, like the breaking point was after everything happened in Afghanistan, it's right when the 20 year war came out. So I'm like, on every major nice. news network, like imploring nice. the Biden administration, like, is this sort of the, you know, hey, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. Like, you know, this is, these are our friends, you know, like getting on far right, you know, I'll never forget, like we did a Newsmax interview and they started talking about like, the essential, they were trying to get me to say, you know, like, oh yeah, well, we have to be super careful about who these people are coming in. We don't know. And I'm like, no, these are our friends. They might not be my friends personally, but we are not going to this effort as a collective. These thousands of people are not not sleeping and doing all this for some random feel-good story, man. Like, no, we know these people. Like, we have relationships. That's why this matters. And it's like, you know, one of the hardest things is like a few days later, we got audio messages from like a group of people and I can hear explosions in the background and what we're being told, and I totally believe this, is that they were American Hellfire missiles launched off of American-sold Reaper drones that we sold to the Pakistanis. I completely believe it. Like, and if you look through it, it's like, so now that's when things like, so it's like, so then it's like, I've got to really sort of like relook at so many things about like where my life, all those things that were built in, like I talked about, like all of those like things that built me up, those things that I was sort of falling into those traps as, as of self-identity and things like that. Then you add on the shame of just screwing up relationships. And then, you know, like, you, and suddenly it's like, right? Yes. But also, I'm not that guy normally in relationships. It's the only time in my life I've ever done that. Okay. Like, and yes, cheating happened. Like, I think everyone can figure that out. That's not me, you know, but I did it. I, and nothing's ever going to change that. I was totally fucked that up. So it's like, I'm inauthentic there. I'm inauthentic in chasing the money. I'm, realizing that some of the places that I put my faith were misplaced. And now I'm at that point, specifically now I'm really grappling in very real time. There's the American war machine and the American veteran and the people and the people and why I did it. And I'm like, you know, and I'm super sad and super depressed that we, I feel like we as Americans failed. And like you put all of this stuff together and it's like the bomb went off, but the core of it really truly was, I made so many compromises that I didn't see until I'm flat on my back. Look it up going, fuck, right? And like almost 41 years old, just so we're clear how this, how this rebuild process happened. My mom hopped on a plane from Kentucky to Omaha and stayed with me for almost a month. Like, let's, uh-huh. I'll, I'll put it all out there, man. Like, that's getting lost in the sauce. Like, that's, but it happened. And you know what? Like, that's one of those things that reminders, like, I love my mom. She's one of the greatest people on earth. But it's like, it had gone so far. It had gone, like, I really had to rip it back to formula. and. You know, we had some real, she's also one of the wisest people you'll ever meet in your life. Like, actually, I should, I should get you and my mom in touch. Like, you would love her on the pod, like, for real. But it's like, we had a lot of conversations and we had a lot of things. And so one of the things that actually, like, I keep this on my desk all the time is, so she went to the art museum in Omaha and she wrote down things that like, okay, what are, what are things that I need to remember? What are stuff? And so it's like, one of the things is that remember fundamental attribution error. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. remember that that's something that's that's built in and and constantly question, are you doing that? And then this is super personal to me, but like it's written and again, this is where I can see it every single day. It's also right by my passport because I love that travel. It says, if you can't control it, him or her, stop and ask, why are you fighting it? And instead ask yourself, can I live with it? And that was so important because I have a tendency to want to fight everything, especially when I'm stressed out. Right. And it's like, let it go. Does it need to be like, let it go. And so, you know, and ultimately, you know, she asked me like, she's like, okay, what's your mission statement in life? Which I thought was great. She's like, what is it? You know, where are you? And it's like, for me, it's like, I want clarity 
on things that is married to my sense of purpose. And if you look at everything that built up, you know, outside of, you know, the Afghanistan thing was just gasoline, right? Like that was, that was actually very clear to who I am in my personally. But everything else, nah, it was all things that I was doing that was not normal, that was not in character with me. It was a lack of authenticity. And now it's amazing. Like, you know, United Valor, that's, that's authentic. We want to tell real veteran stories and bridge that gap between how a veteran is perceived and how it is and, and, and try and take the us as less than 1% post 9-11 and like bridge that gap. That is our mission. That is our purpose. That is authentic to who we are. And we came up with a great first project in a book that was Amazon bestseller and it got turned into a national level museum exhibit, right? Like, and it's traveling like that. That's authenticity to me. And that, like people see it, people recognize it. People are gravitating. So, you know, like we've got, Meetings, I might, I can't blow the lid off this one yet, but it's like, I might start being a feature writer for something that's telling these stories, right? That's, that's getting them wow. together and telling them. We've got a couple other things that, again, in, you know, in, in two weeks, we're going to really like nail down, but it's like everything is around our mission statement of bridging the veteran civilian divide and telling the authentic story of who the person is. You know, that was the whole thing with the 20 year war. The, the framework was, what inspired you to serve? A brief sketch of your service. What was your transition like? And what are you doing now? And the what are you doing now? And what your transition like was always the most important because yes. who I was at 22 is not who I am at 42. And people have got to see that, right? Like the way I approach, you know, entrepreneurship or my definition of authenticity now compared to when I was doing things Ranger Up is totally different. And it should be. It's like, you know, now you and I were talking about this before we hit record, but it's like one of the things that drives me so nuts about this perception of the alpha male is just how bullshit it is. I mean, I was joking with the other day, but like I will stack my street cred of things I've done in my life up against anybody on this. Okay. I still train jujitsu. I still shoot. I'm a former army ranger. I'm a successful entrepreneur that can like actually put that up on a dating app if I ever wanted to, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's actually who I am. Uh, but that's not that's not what makes me, I think, a good man. That's not what makes me someone that I feel like has something to say on a podcast like this. It's being honest enough to just say, yeah, by the way, I had a complete breakdown, which, by the way, is not always the easiest thing to say. Or it, because, like, But it's honest. It's authentic. It's the point of this is who that's the good and the bad, right? It's empathy. It's being able to, you know, I had a colleague at work that, you know, had a really, really bad day. And I was just like, I just called them and I'm like, hey, look, we're not talking about work. I, I know we're on this project and we're on a tight deadline, but how are you? Are you okay? Can I help you? And it's also, you know, knowing who you are and being willing to plant that flag and say, you know, this is who I'm not. And again, like everything that I did that wasn't me, that I fell into that trap, but I just was pushing and chasing and, and, and not listening to that voice inside of me, you know, that's when it went wrong. And, you know, you got to live with it. You get, you got to go through it, but you can choose not to listen to it, right? Like we've talked before about how that, like that normal curve and how so many people just don't ever get to the point where they're really going to understand what it means to grind. Like nothing personal to them, but like they're really not going to understand on some levels, the pressure of making some of these choices because they're sitting right in the middle. It's perfectly comfortable. Many of them have a very good life. Like, and I'm not judging that. I, I also understand that I'm kind of nuts and I just naturally am going to, going to move a certain way. Right. And it's and like, as we're talking about, it's not always sunshine and rainbows, but you know, they're never going to get there. But if you step into that arena, if you step on that field to play ball, what's going to get you there isn't brute force. It's not, it's not this over aggressive. I'm going to screw you. I'm going to grind you down on the business deal stuff. It's one of my favorite negotiating tricks. Nick taught me this one, but I love it. Because if you're in apparel and lifestyle and things like that, it's all intellectual property. In IP law, it used to be, it's like, you know, you'd say like, we have rights to this in the world. And then it was in the solar system, in the galaxy. Now in it's the in universe. the universe. No, it is. Wow. So if you wanted to figure out, like if you wanted to figure out the tit for tat, set the board correctly, one of the first things that we would always bring up would be like, okay, so, you know, we saw this in the known universe and look, you guys can have everything, but the Andromeda galaxy and the horse crab nebula, <laughs> Dude, your reaction was one of the reactions we got or the other one was, well, why, why do you want that? 
What, what, like, <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying? Like, and suddenly, like, they're super, super aggressive. And just like the basic game theory of it's like, so you know, you have one, fine, you guys can have it, you know. Then you ask for something you actually want, and then they get they get uppity against. Like, we just gave you the Andromeda Galaxy. What more? Like, come on, more. You know, so it's like it explains it. It's, it's kind of a crazy trick, but it's that's you want to know how someone is really going to approach it. But it's like I can't remember a deal that someone got pissed off about the Andromeda Galaxy that we did. You know, there there are plenty that you know ultimately didn't work out the other way, or you know, there's something that happened. But it's like. Yeah, that's that's what it is because you know something about the person, you know their intent, you know you know a lot more about where they stand and things like that. And so, it, I feel like that shows authenticity, some in a good way and some in a bad way, right? Like some people are authentically dicks. <laughs> There's just no other way to Absolutely. put it. Absolutely, some that's people just who they are, are authentically assholes, and then some people, you know, they they get it. They're they're well meaning, and, and you go from there, right? And so, I just think that's so much of it. You know, I think it's just so much where it's got to go and where it's got to be. And I, I know that you've got to go, but I love that we started with this understanding of knowing who the hell we are, this authenticity, <laughs> and how you've come full circle. And that that is the thing that saves us, makes us high achieve. It's sustainable. It keeps us very honest. And it's going to bleed into everything that we do, whether it means compromising to cut corners here for a few mm-hmm. extra dollars in the moment or compromising our integrity that eventually leads to us having to hit rock bottom to figure out who the fuck yeah. we are again. And like we were saying too, but I'm like, I'm grateful for the journey at this point. If I could remove the hurt I caused some people, you know, I would absolutely do that. But all the things that I had to work through for myself, all that, nah, man, I wouldn't take that away for the world because that's where you learn. You know, it's kind of what the universe told me I needed at that point. I wish I had quite gotten that far right down the path, but that's, that's what it was. And that's what it is. And you know, it's, it's better. I got, I've got no complaints at this point. Well, maybe a couple, but you know, <laughs> don't we always just, well, uh, I'm, I'm grateful to call you a friend and I'm happy to see where you are now and where you're going to be going. Tom Amenta, United Valor, where can we learn more about them? Just go to unitedvalor.com, follow you on so social. The, the website is weareunitedvalor.com. Um, that's the site. And then also, if you want to go check us out on Instagram, that's United Valor. If you want me for some reason to see the one picture I have or two pictures I have up, it's my last name, Amenta, A-M-T-A, A-M-E-N-T-A. I can talk. And then my first <laughs> name, Tom, or Tom Amenta on LinkedIn. Hit me up there. Happy to you know say that you, you heard me on the pod and I'm happy to connect and always looking forward to meeting interesting people. And you seem to know a lot of them, brother. well conversations like this are what make interesting people want to listen so i appreciate you and like i said if there's anything i can do please don't hesitate to reach out and uh i look forward to talking to you soon i look forward to hearing how all these other things develop as we go will do man it's been as always i love chopping it up with you anytime we'll do it again absolutely thank you for listening to this episode of octa non verba if this message resonates with you please share it out with others on social media